Magazines and Monsters, Episode 41, Iron Man Annual, Number 4, from 1977. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. As Iron Man, all jets of blaze, he's fighting and smiting with repulsor rays. Amazing armor, there's Iron Man, a blazing bomber. Everybody, Billy D, aka Doc Strange, here back with another recording for the show, and I have a doozy here. So, <laughs> anytime I know I have a friend on social media that is a huge fan of a certain movie or a certain character, it's always a point for me to have them on the show to talk about that. So, uh, this comic book character is one that before the MCU movies came out, I don't know that he got a ton of love. Of course, he's a huge deal now because of those films. But uh, the person I'm going to talk to today uh, is a huge fan of this comic book character way before that. He is actually the biggest Iron Man fan I know, and that would be Luke Jack and Eddie. How are you, buddy? Uh, Bill, I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, yeah, people don't necessarily believe it, but I was an Iron Man fan before that movie. So, uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I've been an Iron Man fan my whole life because uh, I remember very specifically when I became an Iron Man fan, but uh, it was longer now than it seems. Let's just leave it at that. So uh, when you put out the request, you said, hey, you want to talk about an Iron Man comic? I didn't even wait till you said what comic. I'm like, yes. So <laughs> I am on board with it. And uh, definitely a uh, whew, this is a doozy. That's about the only way I can describe this particular comic that we're talking about here today. Yeah, this one's crazy because it's a Bronze Age comic and they were all crazy. Let's be honest here. But, yeah, for the most you know, part, yeah. yeah, I mean, and let's be honest, too. I don't think half the world knew who Iron Man was before that movie came out. Just the the, the comic book people, the, the niche people. We knew who he was, but everybody else was like, Iron Man, who's that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, this is a crazy one. This is uh, uh, the Invincible Iron Man annual number four from 1977. Now, <laughs> the cover on this one. You know, we were just talking for a minute before we uh, started recording uh, is by Al Milgram. That's who did the cover on this one. I mean, it's an awesome cover because it has not only Iron Man, uh, an insane villain, uh, Modoc, and then uh, guest starring the champions. So uh, so what's uh, you know, what's uh, your, uh, you know, history with Iron Man here? How did he become, you know, your guy? So I was always kind of a Marvel kid um, growing up. I mean, I I. I I had some DC stuff like I had we had my brother and I had tons of DC superpowers toys and we watched mm -hmm. Super Friends especially the later incarnations of Super Friends uh, but I was introduced to the Marvel universe through a combination of Spider-Man and his amazing friends and mm -hmm. the Secret Wars toy line yeah. and from there that kind of you know prepared me to go into more Marvel growing up as I did being born in 1980 starting to read comics like for real in the late 80s first comic i remember reading regularly that i tried to buy up the spinner rack was volume two of silver surfer mm, okay um, and then the first comic series i bought like regularly from a comic shop was actually marvel's toxic avenger wow which uh that that book is better than it has any right to be it's actually quite funny uh, but from there, the first one I read, like, serious, like, for reals this time, was Excalibur. That was the first book. And so I, I loved Nightcrawler from Spider-Man His Amazing Friends. And so that's what drew me to that. And, of course, it being the early 90s, you know, X-Men, X-Books were everything. Um, 
So I was always a Marvel reader, and I read DC. I read DC. I read the Superman titles for many years. I read the Flash, but I always considered myself more of a Marvel guy. And I never really got much into the Avengers. I was always on either the uh, the mutant side for a long time, and then Venom. You know, Venom was my first favorite comic book character, and I collected mm-hmm. all of Venom's appearances. And then when he got his series of miniseries, but in 1995, uh, Marvel, which I think it might have been 94, in 94 into 95. Marvel started a syndicated one-hour block of cartoons called the Marvel Action Hour. Mm-hmm. And the first half an hour of this was Iron Man, and the second half an hour was the Fantastic Four. And to tie in with these, they also commissioned toy lines at Toy Biz for both Iron Man and Fantastic Four, appropriately enough. Well, I can tell you, I really, really loved those Toy Biz Iron Man figures with the VAC Metal uh, armor parts mm-hmm. uh, that would attach on to the different armors. And, you know, you could mix and match them, but we weren't doing that. You were putting all the armors on the correct one. They had the modular armor, which was the standard one in the comics at the time. But then they also had what they called the hologram armor, which was uh, the red and silver, um, Scarlet, you know, silver, Cent- uh, Scarlet Centurion, Silver Centurion. Oh, yeah. There was the Hulk Buster. They had the Arctic armor, the Hydro armor space armor, stealth armor, all these great armors that, you know, I thought were, oh, those are, those are toys, right? Well, so that put a pin in that for a second. So I just thought, okay, these are really cool toys. I started collecting them and I loved the show also. I mean, I was being introduced to all this stuff, even though it was not, you know, I mean, it was somewhat accurate. It wasn't a hundred percent accurate. You know, it wasn't like it was adaptation of the comics, but it was an adaptation and I enjoyed it. So from there, I make the decision. You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what's going on in this Iron Man book, right? And so, mm-hmm. when I am um, a, uh, it, it is this, it is the fall of 1995. Okay, mm-hmm. I am in high school. I am a sophomore in high school. I'm pretty sure. And I bought my first Iron Man comic, Iron Man number 321. It's right in the middle okay. of. It's right in the middle of the crossing. Oh, no. <laughs> Does it matter? Mm. I, love, I love Tony Stark. I love this stuff with uh, who is Mar- his, his crazy psychic ex-girlfriend, Marianne Rogers. What's mm-hmm. this uh, a weird door in the basement of Avengers Mansion? How is <laughs> Kang involved in this? Mm. I was hooked from that one random issue of Iron Man. Number 321. A few issues later, da, 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 Teen Tony. <laughs> I was in on the ground floor. I said, oh, yeah, this exciting new direction. It's going to last for years for Iron Man. I'm here. I am there. And then a few months after that, da, 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 Heroes Reborn. <laughs> and Iron Man gets kicked over to uh, Jim Lee and Will Sportaccio in an alternate universe. And uh, a year after that, da, 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 Heroes Return. And it's uh, Kurt Busiek and George Perez. And that was where I really fell in love with mm. Iron Man. Because those guys, that book was actually Wizards Series of the Year at one point wow. during that one. Um, and that was something Marvel didn't win, that 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 award from, uh, from uh, Wizards, such as it was. But like I said, as soon as I bought that 321, I became an Iron Man fiend. I loved Iron Man. And then it was a few years after that because um, that book came out, The Hero's Return came out when I was, I want to say, a senior in high school, moving into college. And I read the book all through college. And when I got out of college, 
I, um, my, my buddy, Adam, who I've talked about on, uh, on various comic shows before a huge comics guy, uh, one of my closest IRL friends, um, and another huge, like I said, a huge comics fan. Ironically, he's a big Dr. Strange fan. Mm, cool. Like that, that, that's his Marvel guy. So it was like Iron Man and Dr. Strange, you know, they're like two sides of that same coin. In fact, there was that, what if, where, what if Tony Stark had become the Sorcerer Supreme, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what's even funnier on the DC side, I, I'm a Hawkman fan and his guy is Green Arrow. And I swear mm-hmm. I'm not making this up. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we, I was, we were, we were both in town. This is when I was living in, on the other side of the state in Aiken. Mm-hmm. And it was free comic book days. Like, oh, we'll go hit all the comic shops in Augusta. And I said, okay, I'd never been to any of the comic shops in Augusta, but he grew up down there. So he knew where all the shops were. So it was at one free comic book day in like 2003 or whatever it was, 2003, 2004, where I found a bunch of Iron Man volume one in dollar bins and bought about 20 to 25 issues in the late, uh, mostly in the late, mostly in the mid to late 200s. And that's what started me on getting, you know, I'm still working. I'm, I'm about maybe 20 issues from having the full run of Iron Man, 20, 25 issues. Oh, nice. But I've been reading Iron Man ever since, like I said, that day in high school, Iron Man 321. And uh, I have loved it. I, I have, you know, I, I'm an engineer by trade. Um, I, I have a lot of, uh, I, I can understand some of the, the technical side of the stuff that Tony tries to solve problems using technology. I can also understand that Tony makes bad decisions and uh, <laughs> pushes people away when he makes bad decisions, when sometimes he just needs to ask for help. I can identify with that. Um, mm-hmm. Just the, you know, I've just fell in love with the character as a teenager and have not looked back. And I, for one, have loved the fact that now Iron Man is major movie star, you know, media franchise on his back situation because now other people a lot more people see the same good and admirable traits in the character that i had been seeing for years and i'm just glad that he's finally getting his due hey you figure that was you know the the one that kicked off the mcu basically so yeah uh, well that that, yeah but that one doesn't catch on you're right i mean i had actually i'm sorry to interrupt you but you mentioning that at the time my I was getting my comics from a local shop here in uh, in the upstate of South Carolina called Borderlands. If you're ever in the upstate of South Carolina, please seek out Borderlands. This was the previous owner. He was a gentleman named Stan, real good guy. Uh, eventually, he sold the shop. But I was mm-hmm. on va- I was on vacation. I was in Florida for a wedding, and I got a call from Borderlands on my phone. I'm like, why in the world is Borderlands calling me? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's Stan, and he said, Luke, I've got. I know you're a huge Iron Man fan. I've got two passes to go see a, a, a preview of the new Iron Man movie a wow. week before it comes out if you want them. Mm. And I said, Stan, I am in Florida. I will be back on Monday. Monday at you know noon on my lunch break, I will be there to pick them up. And sure enough, and so I saw, my wife and I saw Iron Man about, about a week or so before it came out in the theater, we saw it in a screening filled with nerds, you know, just <laughs> cramming as many nerds into this theater as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it was, oh man, it was, it just blew my mind seeing this. And I'm like, oh my God, people are going to be seeing this. Everyone's going to get to see this in a few days, you know? And I mm-hmm. went and saw it again with my friends that weekend 
And it's like, I don't know how law is like, okay, now, now everyone's going to know how awesome Iron Man was. None of us had any idea what it was going to become, you know, but we, all I knew was, Hey, there's this fantastic Iron Man movie that I'll have now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I actually enjoyed that one quite a bit. You know I mean? Uh, The subsequent ones, not as much, but that first one, I think that's really one of the best. I like that. I like the Captain America franchise quite a bit too, but that first Iron Man movie was really awesome. But yeah, for me, Iron Man comics wise, I was always a big Avengers fan. So I was always a fan of his when he was in that. Um, Solo, I love his Bronze Age stuff because it's wacky and crazy, like all the Bronze Age. And that's why I love the Bronze Age best. And then I even uh, like, you know, the 1980s stuff as well. Um, Especially, you know, the like, you know, you have your critically acclaimed stuff, you know, like Demon in a Bottle. Like I like the David Michelini and uh, Bob Layton stuff. That's some good stuff in there, too. But he kind of tailed off for me. Except for when he was in the Avengers after that. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't as big of a I wasn't as big of a fan of what was done with him after that. But I yeah. do like him, you know, like I said, in the Avengers. That's always something like for me, I loved when the Avengers had Iron Man, Captain America and Thor when they were all there. I loved the Avengers. It didn't matter who else was there. But as long as those three were there, I pretty much always liked that book quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, like we said, uh, Avenger, or I'm sorry, Avengers, wow, little Freudian slip there. Uh, I, Invincible Iron Man Annual number four from 1977. So this is a crazy one because <laughs> I, it does allude to a couple of things that happened in Iron Man 75 that kind of led into this. But it's it's pretty much its own story. But uh, it's well, I love the creative team here, though. So Bill Mantlo, writer, he's one of my favorite writers, yep. love Bill Mantlo. And then we have. Uh, pretty good art team too, uh, George Tuska and Don Perlin, and I mm-hmm. like both of those guys on their own and together as a team as well. They do pretty good in here. And then we have John Costanza on letters, Phil Rachelson on colors, and Archie Goodwin, uh, the editor. So, yeah. but yeah, let's start off with the cover. Like I, we're saying. I do, I do want to say this as far as the creators. So mm-hmm. Bill Mantlo and George Tuska, they were the regular writer and penciler of Iron Man at this time. Cool. Um, right around the time that this annual came out, because this annual was, according to Mike'sAmazingWorld.com, which uh, Mike Voiles runs this. It's a really, really well-indexed site. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has the on-sale date as May 10th, 1977. So okay. right around that um, was uh, Iron Man 100, which came out on April the 26th, and then 101 came out later in may and but around that so that you're right around that point so you know mm-hmm. you think of iron man fighting the frankenstein monster and then the first appearance <laughs> of dread knight all that other stuff right around yeah. the the century mark that's mm-hmm. where we are in context but mantlo and tusca were the the main creative team in this era and archie goodwin was the editor of iron man well, a position he had moved into after he had been the writer of iron man for a while uh, earlier to this Um, this era is, like I said, it's a little unusual in that Mantlo does some more, um, kind of broad superheroic stuff with Mm -hmm. then more so than Archie did. Um, Archie Goodwin doesn't get the credit, I think for some of the stuff he did, but a lot of the things that were really fleshed out by, you mentioned Dave Michelinie and Bob Layton by Bob and Dave in both of their runs. Yeah. Those seeds, a lot of those were planted by Archie Goodwin during his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Archie Goodwin was the first writer that had Tony purposely get out of manufacturing weapons mm-hmm. and you know take a more vested interest in 
the stuff that he was making to benefit mankind. Uh, a, a strong emphasis placed on Stark Enterprise or Stark in, Stark International. It was back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stark Industries and Stark International under Archie Goodwin. Again, this would become a, a mainstay of the book for many, many years. Um, so a lot of that. But then George Tuska and... <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I've got I've gotten into some arguments over on my home network on Two True Freaks about George Tuska because I am a mark for George Tuska on mm-hmm. Iron Man. On other books, I can see where people don't care for his work, but on Iron Man, George Tuska is one of the best Iron Man artists. Period. End of discussion, as far as I'm concerned. And we do see some real great Iron Man stuff in this book, but you also do see well maybe. Tuska may not have been everyone's cup of tea for more traditional superheroes. Mm-hmm. The stuff he does with Iron Man, I think, was great. And I will I revisit this era just for the uh, you know, just for some of his art really does it for me. It's really good stuff. And uh, it really does look good in this particular issue as well. I do want to give a shout out to uh, Tuska, who sometimes gets dumped on uh, to me unfairly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but, uh, I, I think is one of the just one of the most iconic Iron Man artists. The the one example I will give we met we've been we've mentioned a few times the first uh, Iron Man film, mm-hmm. the look of the Iron Man armor in that film, which this particular the best shot to see what I'm talking about is when Tony blows up the tank and he turns and turns away from the tank after he fires the missile into it and the tank mm-hmm. blows up in the background. Yeah, the. The frowning sort of visage of the armor, that the armor looks like it's snarling or frowning a little bit, mm-hmm. that I lay entirely at the feet of George Tosca. Mm-hmm. The, that, okay. that fr- if you take a look at any time his, his face, he's got that kind of grim face and the mouth looks downturned. It was a story beat in some of the very earliest Iron Man stories and tales of suspense that um, he didn't look like a hero. He looked scary to mm-hmm. regular people like pepper Potts was like, didn't want Iron Man hanging around because of how intimidating and frightening he looked. <laughs> so he, you know, she obviously loved Tony, but she didn't like that, you know, that Iron Man guy, but, uh, <laughs> the, so that, that look just to turn when he turns and he is grimacing, it looks like the armor is grimacing. I said, that's yeah. George Tusk right there. And to me, I've of that, you know, dour expression, on the mm-hmm. armor because when if Tony's wearing the armor, that means that means it's gotten real, you know? It's not playtime yeah. anymore when we've got the suit on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I that great scene in that movie, by the way. I love that scene. Um yeah, I would totally agree with you about Tusca. I think he was really good on Iron Man. Uh another book was uh Luke Cage. Some of the yes. early issues of Luke Cage there. He was great uh in that one, especially when Billy Graham was inking him. But uh yeah he does get crapped on a lot. You know, I think because he was one of those artists that, you know, had a specific style and sometimes it wasn't great for the books he was put on. But, yeah. I, you know, I think the guy just was trying to make a living, you know, so. Oh, yeah. And, and then sometimes the inkers weren't always suited for his pencils, too. You know, we know that happened a lot. Maybe sometimes there just weren't good combinations out there. Or, you know, yeah. a, a book that somebody was put on wasn't, you know, a good fit for them. But, you know, Iron Man, Luke Cage, those are two uh, books. Look for his work. It looks really good to definitely check them out. Can I make a recommendation for an issue of Luke Cage by George Tusk, by George Tusk on art? Mm-hmm. Um, Luke Cage, Power Man number 21, Power Man versus Power Man. One of my favorite Luke oh, Cage yeah. comics yeah. where Eric Jostin 
wants the name Power Man back, and the two of them beat the crap out of each other for like twelve pages. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I think I, I think I have that issue in the, um, oh, the trade that just came out a few years ago. Uh, those newer trades that Marvel has oh, out. Uh, yes, the, um, oh, the the like the color essentials. Yeah, I can't even think of what the heck the names of them are, but the, oh, uh, the oh, Epic. Uh, Epic Collection. Epic collection. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I think that one's a little the it's it's just weird. Some of the collections that they have out, some of them are a good bit thinner than the other ones, but that the Luke Cage one's one of the thicker ones. And I think that has one through twenty-four plus like yeah. the annual for an annual or something like that. It's right. And that's yeah, that issue's in there. That's good stuff. Yeah, good call yeah. there. I <laughs> I have the essential on that and I have the single issue on that. I've got a pretty I've got most of I've got almost, well, I don't know about to say almost all, but I've got a really good chunk of starting with Power Man and going through Power Man and Iron Fist. I've got, I'd say at least, I've got more than half of that run just because I'm a big Luke Cage fan. You know, us Luke's got to oh, stick nice. together. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll have to keep that in the back of my brain then if I want to talk some Luke Cage. <laughs> you know but, it. But yeah, again, people can crap on Tusk if they want, but that's, again, look up at this Iron Man work and look up his uh, Luke Cage work too, because it's good stuff, but... Yeah, so we said about the cover initially. So, again, what do you think about this cover? This is a pretty wild cover where it shows, you know, like I said, everybody in the book is on the cover here just about. We have the champions of Los Angeles, you know, a couple of X-Men cast-offs there with Angel and Iceman and then uh, Black Widow, Ghost Rider, and uh, Hercules there. And then our buddy uh, Modoc here shooting some rockets off of his little chair and is using his mental blast here to blast at them. Really good stuff. You know, it. I do like this one. I love, like I said, all the the um, the, the copious amounts of cover on this <laughs> on this copy. You know, it's got the title block on the top. It says Iron Man Annual, Marvel Comics Group, All New, King Size Annual, 1977, 50 Cents, Comics Code, Twice the Action, Twice the Thrills. You know, it's like we're just cramming as much information <laughs> as we can in here. Yeah. The other thing, and I didn't, I hadn't really thought of this until reading it for this uh for this podcast but you know from a uh layout standpoint this is kind of like the cover to x-men number one mm-hmm. yeah a little bit mm-hmm. you know yeah where modok standing in for magneto and then the heroes rushing from the other side attacking him mm-hmm. uh i i like it it, it shows it it doesn't hide it you know there's a there's a british saying it does what it says on the tin right it shows you <laughs> everyone that's in the book so it's like if you like these characters we want your 50 cents you know <laughs> yeah can you imagine being a kid 50 cents for this this is so great and then at the bottom the caverns of doomsday as well there some more uh (laughs) more copy there on the front but it doesn't really hurt it too much like um, it's mostly to the top and then that one at the bottom and man there's some you know good action shows all the characters the colors really pop this is this is a really good cover this is one of my favorite al milgram covers he did ever oh yeah that this is this is fantastic stuff and again it it is going to um depend on your affection for any of the characters in the book but it's a showcase for all the characters in the book you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so all right well i'm gonna jump into a quick little synopsis here and then we'll talk about the issue how about that sounds good to me all right so the story begins already in progress as iron man has tracked modok to a hidden lair in the southwest of the united states a few robot minions attacked but Iron Man disposes of them pretty easily. He realizes he needs some help and heads to Los Angeles to the home of the champions. Rather than knocking, 
Iron Man smashes his way in, and Ghost Rider confronts him. Before things really get out of hand, though, the rest of the team shows up to calm things down. Iron Man then gets them in the loop, and they break into three teams to hit known aim bases around the area to find MODOK. Uh, Nat, Herc, and Angel go to the Redwood National Forest, while Ghost Rider, Iceman, and the visiting Dark Star head to the coast. Iron Man goes to the Mojave Desert, and he finds a monastery that apparently needs to be checked out. <laughs> All three teams run into AIM agents, mutated sea creatures, and a murderous monk, and so on. So, all right, that's where I'll stop there, so we can get right into it. So, what'd you think of this yeah. one overall? <laughs> I I like this a lot. Now, okay, obviously, huge Iron Man fan, but I was I had never read the Champions. This was my first. Uh, first time I'd ever read a comic featuring the champions together as a team. Cool. Now, of course, I had read all of these characters on their own, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what the champions are, right? And mm -hmm. I was telling my brother about this because he, my brother is not much of a comics guy, mm. and he didn't know who the champions were. So I said, okay, well, the champions started out when the, when the, the new X-Men happened. They had to do something, they wanted to do something with the characters, right? And so... Uh, Gene and Scott stayed in X-Men and said the Beast went over to the Avengers and mm -hmm. that left Angel and Iceman. And so they were going to do an Angel and Iceman book and put them in California and have them be on their own. But the story goes that editorial said, well, we can't really do just those two. They're not going to sell. Can we put an Avenger in the book? And says, so like, okay, so Hercules gets added to the book. Mm -hmm. And then more notes came back. It's like, you know, we, we kind of need another anchor. Can, can we get a character who already has their own title to be in the book? And so Ghost Rider, because naturally, <laughs> when you've got two mutants and a demigod, you want to get a supernatural guy, right? To be yeah. in there. Fits and right then, in. <laughs> fits right in. And then, then it said, well, you know, there's all dudes. Can't we get a girl? <laughs> and thus we have the Black Widow and thus we have the champions. And it's like, it, they, it, on it's, We've moved so far from the original concept, which sounds great, because I would have loved a team-up book of just the Angel and the Iceman, mm -hmm. but no, can't do that. So this is my first introduction to the champions, and it's they don't give any real rationale for them being a team in this. We no. just kind of have to accept it, mm -hmm. you know? It's like, mm -hmm. uh, it's, I mean, they would kind of circle back to this a few years later with the West Coast Avengers, but the West Coast Avengers had a better reason to exist, and the characters made more sense. <laughs> um, yeah, but, uh, but for an annual now in my mind, I remember annuals like in the nineties, they'd always come out in the summer. They were all like this did. They were always oversized like this did. And they, you almost always didn't tie into the main story. They were just a big summer fun thing to read on, you know, in, in the sunroom or uh, on the, on the porch or whatever in the summer. Mm -hmm. And to that end, this is so awesome. It doesn't make a lick of sense half the time, but it's big and crazy. And it's got giant fish monsters and, uh, you know, robots that Iron Man has to fight. And, uh, you know, uh, you've, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Hercules flirting with uh, Black Widow in the Redwood Forest. <laughs> yeah. You know, Bobby Bobby has a uh, another in a long line of uh, potential girlfriends that didn't work out. We all saw how that went eventually in the modern Marvel Universe, <laughs> uh, you know. Well, uh -huh. this is this is this is goofy, fantastic fun. I I enjoyed the heck out of this. Doesn't mean anything. Doesn't have any impact. 
Mm-mm. Man, it's a, it's a ride, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's the epitome of a Bronze Age comic that, you know, was the, this comic itself, you know, Iron Man was doing pretty well sales-wise, and they shoved the champions in here because that was floundering, and they were trying to help boost some numbers. So they were like, hey, let's put this in there so maybe we can help, you know, get some sales going here because, yeah, the champions, it's just... It suffered from a lot of different things, like too many different creators and not a really good direction in there. You know, it's just it it never really caught on. But again, this is just like a fun book that it doesn't necessarily need to tie into anything else. You know, Marvel went crazy for a while there. I think that was more in the late 80s, wasn't it, where all the annuals and this and that always had to tie into some big story and be a part of something rather than just being a fun kind of one off like this is like I enjoy these kind much better. Yeah, I do too. And even, you know, even some of those ones that had an overall theme, as long as they, because, you know, I think of DC did that with like the Bloodlines books where they were all part of that big Bloodline story, but really they all kind of stood on their own. Mm -hmm. And in that one, I mean, the the problem with those is that the majority of the characters introduced were just terrible, you know, so it's like, (laughs) you you, you deal with that. But I'll take, I'll take this type of annual. Marvel's kind of gotten back into this a little bit. They've done a few annuals, like on Venom, they've done a few annuals over the last few years where it's just a big story with Venom in it. It's like, I'll do that. I'll take that. You know, yeah. I'll take a big oversized comic. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that's what annuals should be. Just a one shot, a lot of fun, you know, throw in some guest appearances if you want or whatever. I just, I would rather it was something fun and, you know, aim. I love aim. The guys in these crazy like beekeeper suits. I, I don't yes. think I've ever seen them, you know, they, they temporarily kind of a, win a bit of a, a fight here, a battle in this book, but usually they just get the crap beat out of them. So I, I enjoy seeing that too. And Modoc is just such a crazy villain. Like the visual alone is just bonkers. I enjoy that yeah. quite a bit. Modoc, another character I was introduced to by that Marvel Action Hour cartoon. Mm-hmm. And I yep. do in fact have the Toy Biz Modoc toy. Oh, cool. Upstairs with my other Toy Biz Iron Man toys, which I bought when I was, uh, you know, 15. And uh, it's got a big rubbery head so that you can stick the little <laughs> mental missile into the hole and push his head and it, it pops the missile out. Oh, that's know? great. Kind of like he's doing on the cover. Yeah, that's hilarious. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, just the visual alone on him. And it's funny, too. Like, it's not a bait and switch, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, using... Modoc on the cover here to you know say oh he's gonna they're gonna have this big confrontation with Modoc and <laughs> that really I don't want to say it never happens but it's very anticlimactic towards the end but again yeah. just having the crazy aim guys running around and then like I said a, a crazy wild scene where Iron Man goes into the Mojave Desert and <laughs> there's this guy that looks like a monk there at this monastery but then you know these metal doors slam shut and the guys just like. I guess he's basically like, you know, Modoc or AIM kind of like created him to be like this, yeah. you know, bruiser, like this really heavy muscle bruiser that doesn't feel any pain. And his skin is like almost kind of like Luke Cage, too, you know, where it's like, you know, yeah. rock hard skin. Yeah, the, This guy's name is Strike. And I don't know if you're familiar with the website, the appendix to the Marvel Universe. Oh, I've seen it's, that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, MarvUapp.com, and they have an entry for Strike. This is his only appearance. So, um, you know, what, almost, what, 45, more than 45 years on, almost uh, coming up on uh, 
Well, let's see. Yeah, I guess about 45 years on, he has still not made another appearance. He's still waiting for that rematch with Iron Man. So, you know, uh, if I ever get that Iron Man writing gig, you know, first issue, <laughs> Strike's going to be, who is it? It's like, Strike, I haven't seen you in years. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. So. That's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting website because they do have a lot of, like, entries on there for characters that you can't find because they were just like one-off characters or, you know, very low key. Uh, that's a good website to go to if you're looking for information on characters that, you know, you just really can't find anywhere else. Oh yeah. Great site. I love Marvoon app. Been using mm. it for years. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. So yeah. And then like he gets into this crazy fight with this, you know, this bruiser, which is funny to me, like I said, cause the guy's dressed up like a monk, but, um, yeah, they finally, you know, think, okay, Iron Man's like, I'm going to go back to where I first started because I think that's where MODOK really is. And he goes back there, and, you know, there's some uh, powers here that I didn't realize MODOK even had. You know, he's reading uh, Tony's mind, and he says uh, that he was in the place when he was there, but he had rendered himself invisible. <laughs> I'm thinking, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> sure. You know, why not? Of course he can because he's <laughs> MODOK. You know, he can do what he wants, I guess. But, uh, you know, I guess the idea is that he was able to convince Tony he wasn't there using his mental powers. Maybe, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, I'm willing to accept it. <laughs> yeah, too, too funny. But oh, yeah. And then, you know, he basically has this giant like device that's going to juice him up and he's going to use that to, you know, take over the world or whatever. And he, he's like. He calls himself well, his the Doomsday Machine, big, you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. He call, I like when he calls himself the Doomsday Machine when he jumps into this. It almost looks like that speeder from uh, Star Wars that Luke Skywalker jumps in. Yeah, <laughs> it does kind of look like that. And it is 1977. So, yeah, it's like, wait a minute here. <laughs> yeah. hey, if it works, it works, man. You know, who who are we to judge? Right. Mm -hmm. And then Tony's idea is, well, I'll just plug myself into this uh, crazy machine that made him real powerful and I'll get some juice and uh, I'll, I'll fight him. And it's funny because he gets all juiced up and then he starts getting a little nutty because the power is so much. And Black Widow's like, yo, release the power, dude. He's like, oh, yeah, release the power. And he blasts MODOK. Yeah. And I don't and it doesn't look like Modoc survived either because he just like yeah. he's just gone. I'm like, did he kill him or what? Yeah, he's he's had enough, clearly. I mean, mm. uh, it does the ending just kind of which is funny because it has a backup. You know? <laughs> yeah, so which it's was like crazy. they had extra pages. It's like, why don't you take a couple more pages on this? You know? Yeah, because don't want to do it. So yeah, because Tony just kind of blasts Modoc and it looks like he's like disintegrates him. Because he just kind of like disappears and almost like blows up or something. It's like, yeah. uh, okay, how did Modoc survive this? And then, like you said, yeah, it's weird. You know, you had how many more pages because you have some ads, and then there's a backup of uh, Midnight, the Shang-Chi villain. He's yes. in there for a crazy backup story, which is, you know, pretty interesting. I like that character quite a bit. Uh, Roger Stern is the writer on that one. And then, you know, the inker on that one is Don Newton, which, of course, I know him, but Pensler, it says, is Jeff Acklin. I never heard of him before. I don't know if you ever heard of no, him. I, I never heard of him. I didn't recognize that name either, no. Mm -mm, no, but it does look very Don Newton, so I don't know if he did a little more of the heavy lifting here. You know, those first couple of pages, the you know, the faces and stuff like that look very Don Newton to me. But yes. yeah, back yeah, back to the Iron Man story, like you said, too. You know, when they're out in the forest there and uh, Hercules starts kind of 
hitting on uh, Black Widow and having some naughty thoughts. That's kind of a funny part there too. I'm like, uh, yeah, oh see, I, I've read, like I said, I've I've read one issue of Champions. I've read this, and I've read their appearance in Marvel Godzilla, and that's it. I, did was this a, a thing? Did did was Herc and Widow an item in Champions? I don't know if they were an item per se, because I feel like in the late seventies, she was, wasn't she also in daredevil's book and yes. part of that. And they were together. So I think, I don't know about this. <laughs> like, I think Hercules might've just had the hots for it. She would like flirt with them maybe, but I don't think there was an actual relationship going on there. Okay. I can, I can buy that. You know, he is Hercules, you know, all the ladies love him. One of my favorite moments with Hercules is in uh, the pages of Avengers very early on when he was an Avenger and he, you know, he, he's been kind of mopey and stuff because he misses Olympus and he decides that if he's going to be stuck on in the mortal realm, he should embrace it. And so he, he, sh- there's a point where he goes and shaves and gets all dressed up in like a suit. <laughs> and like, I want to say it's like wasp and like Scarlet, Witch are like fawning over him. Because oh, he's so good looking now. It's like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> wow, so the beard made him ugly, huh? <laughs> I guess the beard made him look too severe, but now that he's clean shaven, he's a hunk, I guess. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. And then this yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. You know, the Ghost Rider and Dark Star and Iceman go underwater to this underwater aim base, you know, along the coast here, the Pacific coast. And then these insane creatures like that they were experimenting on, I guess, that they have to fight. That's like something right out of a horror story there, man. Like, holy crap. Yeah. On page this, 19. There. This, That's wild. Yeah. This made me think of the character, Dr. Demonicus. Oh yeah. Was, From Godzilla. Yeah, he was a Godzilla. He was in Godzilla <laughs> and he was in Iron Man and stuff. So it's like Dr. Yeah. Demonicus. He, that's what he did was he made monsters out of animals yeah. like this. So it's like, maybe they, they were comparing notes here or something. Yeah, that's funny. That character is wild. And he had, didn't he have like a skull mask or skull kind of thing? Yes, face? he did. He had a skull yep. mask. He, he not only fought Godzilla, he also fought the Shogun Warriors, both of which uh, <laughs> I have covered the entire series of on my podcast. Wow, that's wild. I, I didn't know about yeah. Shogun Warriors, but yeah, that seemed just seemed really like everything else in the book kind of seemed to be like, okay, well, whatever. But, you know, them fighting these... Uh, monstrosities underwater here kind of made me think what that was a little yeah i don't want to say it was out of place but it was really wacky i mean i guess it's no more wacky than a a guy dressed up as a monk you know out in the middle of nowhere <laughs> that was kind of crazy but, no it, it well you know their their aim they're they're mad scientists and their mad science knows no bounds apparently so mm-hmm. you know. yeah too crazy too crazy but yeah like i said that backup was pretty neat too i i enjoy that character much more when he's you know he had a very short stay in uh, the uh, uh, Shang-Chi uh, comic. I think was only Kung in, Fu. Yeah, I think it was only in two two issues and he got killed or at least appeared to be killed, like maybe he showed up later, but um, in one of the very early on issues there, which was really cool, showed his origin and everything. But yeah, he's like a master martial artist guy. So yeah, he's pretty cool. I like that too. That's an interesting one. But yeah, yeah just and a, I, a few I, pages. I, the only... Th- yeah, the only thing I can figure is that I know Half Face had played a bit of a role in Iron Man, mm-hmm. so maybe the plan was that that's why they did that story here with Half Face, because I don't know did Half Face ever really show up in Master of Kung Fu? I've I've only read bits and pieces of that book. Yeah, I only have uh, the first two epic collections of that one as well, so I'm not 
I don't, and, and I do have some single issues, but very spotty, very, very spotty. And I've never seen him in those issues that I have. Okay. Yeah. So maybe it was just yeah. like, eh, you know, we had uh, this. It's probably, you know, it probably was an inventory story they had sitting around. <laughs> right. Needed to, Need to put it somewhere. Yep. Needed <laughs> to fill five pages in this annual. So they were like, let's just throw it in the back of there, even though it makes no sense and has nothing to do with this Iron Man story. But yeah, I love this one because, like I said, it's just, it is so very Bronze Age. That's why I love this one. It's just, I'll always have a love for these kind of comics that are just wacky, crazy, but they're fun, a lot of action. It kept me going. You know what I mean? I kept wanting to read it and keep going and going and going. At no point did I think, ah, this is boring. I want to put this down and go read something else. No, no. It, for the for the amount of time that it lasts, it, it serves itself well, and it makes itself... Uh, very enjoyable to the reader. And I said, it, it's not super deep. You're not going to like start comparing notes and stuff, but it's like, it tells a, a fun story. And like I said, it suits that summer annual style very, very well. I think where it's, you know, just a fun, enjoyable story. And, uh, end of the day, it didn't really mean a whole lot, but you know, you got to see Iron Man and the champions fight MODOK and all his goons. Mm-hmm. So it's like, didn't, did, aren't you, you're pretty sure you got your 50 cents worth out of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's all over the place, but ultimately it's it's fun. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's mm-hmm. that's what the, we're, we're aiming for with a comic book, is it not? You know what I mean? We're just looking to have a good time and have some fun. So yeah, awesome there. But uh, all right. So, yeah. Any final thoughts on this one? Get out there and get it right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it bin, it, it's, it. in, yeah, so it, it's been reprinted a few times. So, uh, you know, I, I think I got this for like maybe a buck or two. I don't think this was one that was very expensive. Uh, when I was buying my collection, so you can probably find it pretty cheap if you're hunting for it. I mean, relatively yeah. speaking, because uh, the comics have all gotten more expensive, the, the back issues uh, sure. now. But uh, yeah, it's it's worth if you see it. I know your first reaction might be really the champions, you know, but uh, trust me, it, it's worth picking up. It's a lot of fun. It's very enjoyable, and uh, you know, like I said, it's I got a fun, fun guest stars and a fun villain. And, uh, you know, Strike is, is getting set for that big comeback anytime now. <laughs> so, uh, you know, definitely, that's it. If, if, if you're a fan of, of Iron Man or, the, or any of the Champions characters, I think this is a worthy pickup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one. Yeah, you see this for a buck or two in a bin. Grab this one. You're not going to be disappointed. It's just a lot of fun. And, you know, again, if you're, especially if you're in the crazy Bronze Age comics, you're an Iron Man fan, Champions fan, MODOK fan, AIM fan. There's a lot going on here, but you definitely want to grab this one. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right, buddy. So that's going to be about it here. I'm going to wrap up here. So anything you want to talk about here right now? You have anything coming up in the pipe later on here? I mean, you got your Earth Destructive Destruction Directive going on. You know, obviously you got your uh, Kaiju uh, Daikaiju uh, fix going on there, correct? Oh, yeah. So uh, if you've enjoyed hearing me talk about Iron Man, uh, I please ask that you please check out my regular podcast, which is, uh, and I only mean regular as far as when it comes out. There's nothing regular about it, um, uh, which is Earth Destruction Directive, which is a Daikaiju podcast covering all aspects of Japanese giant monsters, be they, you know, movies, TV shows, comic books, toys, games, all that. Uh, and uh, that is a show I've been running for quite a number of years now. I love for giant monsters. You can find that at uh, the Two True Freaks podcast network at twotruefreaks.com or you can find earth destruction directive on your favorite podcatcher. Mm-hmm. uh in addition i am also the 
one of the coasts over on uh, the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, which is a horror podcast covering uh, all sorts of different horror film. I host that show with my brother Jason, the hair metal hero Chris Tyler, and Two True Freaks OG Chris Honeywell. And you can also find that again at the Two True part of the Two True Freaks Network. So at twotruefreaks.com or on your favorite podcatcher. And I am also one of the hosts on Get Back to the Wrestling. Finally, there is a podcast on the internet about professional wrestling. Uh, I co-host that with my brother and the hair metal hero. And once more, that is part of the Two True Freaks Network. So head over to Two True Freaks or find it on your podcatcher. And uh, if any of those sound appealing to you, I would really appreciate a, uh, a download and a listen. So please go check them out. Yeah, everybody definitely, you know, there's something for everybody there, you know, big monsters, wrestling and horror. So can't go wrong. Everybody, there's something for everybody there. So and if anybody wants to look you up uh, online to uh, follow you on the social medias, uh, where can they find you? Uh, Sure. So you can find me on Twitter at El Jacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. Uh, I am, uh, earth destruction directive is on YouTube. So if you want mm-hmm. to go to search for earth destruction directive on YouTube, you can find the show there right now. It's still just mirroring the actual podcast, but I'm hoping to get some more content up there in the future. And if you're still on Facebook, you can find me first name, Luke, last name E D D on the Facebook. And, uh, so if you'd love to connect, just reach out, love to hear from it. And, uh, I hope everybody enjoys these guest spots that Billy has me on for. I, I love coming on here and talking about, uh, get an opportunity to talk about different stuff. So I, I really appreciate you having me on and I hope the listeners do as well. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, buddy. I appreciate it. Yeah. We're always gonna have to, you know, a few times a year, just talk some comics, talk some movies, and I definitely appreciate you coming on. So thank you once again. And, uh, I'm going to let you go right now and then be back in a minute to wrap things up. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. up this episode uh once again i'd like to thank luke uh, jack and eddie for being on luke's a good guy definitely give him a follow on twitter and uh look for his podcasts out there you know if you're a kaiju fan you definitely need to uh, tune into earth destruction directive 
uh, for sure. And then uh, uh, you probably heard by now too that I have two new shows starting up. Uh, by the time you hear this, they'll only be a couple of days away. So if you like uh, Bronze Age horror comics, you know Marvel, DC, Charlton, Skywald, etc., uh, definitely check that one out. The Bronze Age of horror comics. And then uh, The Brave and the Bob, which is going to focus on The Brave and the Bold and everything Bob Haney from DC. So uh, do me a favor and check them out. So uh, thanks for listening as usual.